Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio, where radioactivity is contagious. You can join us in broadening our minds on the Nameless Debates Discord via the link below, and even feature here yourself, if you've got what it takes. Still trying to figure out what philosophical outlook I have on life. I thought it was nihilism, but I'm not sure. Really? It's pronounced nihilism, by the way. Sorry, I have an accent. I don't know. Who who's speaking? Uh, who's some who is someone who isn't me. Yeah, but who is that? No, no, that's, that's a screen name. That's my yeah. name. <laughs> that's who. It's his uh. username. He's just a member of the Discord. Oh, I see. No, yeah, I thought it was. What is it? Nihilism. 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 Sorry, I pronounced yeah. it. Wrong. Like annihilate. Uh. Yeah. Nihilism sounds better. It does. It, ha- it has. It has more uh, gum f- in it. Yeah, less Neil Diamond about it. Definitely. So, yeah, uh, ne- nihilism it- sounds like K N E L. Yeah. So, so Matthew, have you done that that talk you do about something nothing with him? Uh with someone who isn't me. I've no, heard. I've heard him debate it before. You've heard him debate it. The whole blank canvas, something, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. and how did and how did that affect in the, the nihilist view? <laughs> no, yeah, no impact. I'm, I'm willing to accept I could be wrong. I'm oh, I see. I, but <laughs> but would like, you say you would you say you followed the argument that I laid out? Kind of. I can't remember it. It was a while ago. I can't remember a hundred percent of it. But it was um nothing is simpler than something. Oh, okay. Well, I guess it's not. Uh, that's a, yeah. That's a very. <laughs> that, that's like maybe a tenth of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, my philosophical outlook probably is um affected greatly by the fact that I've been having an existential crisis dealing with the fact that I'm just some biological machine that that uh is all emotions are completely fueled by random chemical reactions in my brain. You know, no, they're not random. random. But yeah, well, they're not random. You know what I mean. Uh, there are chemical reactions in my brain is mm-hmm. what makes up my personality. Beyond your control, human being. Mm-hmm. You know how yeah, I look uh, at it. You know, I used to, I used to be uh, in the Mormon Church, and I kind of, uh, I mean, I still am. It's a reorganized Mormon, but I mean, I don't believe anything they go to or they go look, through. Um, so it's only been the past couple of years that I've kind I'm, of um, gone yeah, away. Yeah, I'm happy from to. That. I'm happy to help you out with that. Um, like later on tonight or something, if you want. Yeah, man, and I, I came from Jehovah's Witnesses, which to me, these are like cousin cults that yeah, kind of interesting to break through. Oh, yeah, my me. uncle was a Jehovah's Witness. There you go. See? We all, we all at least know <laughs> someone. Li- literally related. Blood. Yeah. You won't take blood because um, it says in the Bible you're not supposed to ingest blood in any way, and he thinks that donating blood count falls under that. Yep. That's, That's one an of interesting their... one. It's one of their major ones. I don't know. My uh, my church. You know, do you know why? Do you know why they have the all these injunctions on blood? Uh, that cannibalism at the time. Uh, well, yeah, because yeah. you you have to understand. Uh, 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 one of the th- the most shocking things that I think everyone should do uh, is read the Golden Bough, and that's and I read it because. If you if you imagine okay if you believe to some degree there's this synchronistic phenomenology right 
Now, who would know about it? And and one group of people that would know about it, obviously, would be the people who are interested in magic, right? Hmm. Well, they might know something about it. They might know something about it, but, you know, I'm a no stone left unturned sort of guy. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I just thought it was important to clarify that they probably don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's true. But uh, what's very interesting is... If there is it, it, the the uh, the my thought process around it is was if there was something that actually goes on and there's some way to relate to it, might there not be some statistical evidence of the archetypal idea? Somehow that would be reflected in all these customs from all these uh, primitive cultures. So, I, so the Golden Bough is a, is a record of all the magical practices of every pagan culture he could find hmm. uh, and it's horrifying to read because their fucking practices are fucking unbelievable they're just brutal like fucking sounds very interesting and stuff but it but it is uh and it's actually how i finally realized that this whole history i've been fed is just not true uh, uh the religious history christian history the whole history i just realized through that reading that book that uh, what i've been taught was just totally false and uh, the guy who wrote it also experienced that from doing the research so actually um the golden bow was uh, created a huge shift in thinking about the history uh, the scholar scholarship in religious history um and at first it was like uh, like shocking to people like it was scandalous um the idea um, um, just quickly, um, yeah. to refer back to the sacrifice remark, like yeah. sacri- sacrifice may seem terribly gruesome to us, but like there's an insane amount of um, what would you say yeah. moral significance in the ritual of sacrifice because it teaches you something, which is that to get what you want, sometimes you have to give up what you have. Yeah. No. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. But well, just, it has a human being killed. I don't understand how someone can go up and offer themselves up for a sacrifice. It's a ritualization of the idea. Hmm. Well, uh, people do all the time, though, in all sorts of... One of the things, one of my problems with the idea of sacrifice, if it becomes too, too let's say... Literal? Uh, well, yeah, if, if, it, if it's an idea that, you know, uh, resonates in your brain every day, what happens is when you get in stressful situations, there's always a temptation to believe that if you sacrifice yourself, everyone else will be okay, right? And, mm. uh, and it's connected to the nihilist position. And uh, under the nihilist position is often this idea that if you sacrifice yourself, you're this noble way of resolving the stressful situation, uh, uh, everyone will be better. And uh, it's kind of a dark, r- romantic dream, but uh, it's actually very destructive. And too many people thinking that just creates a lot of chaos in the culture. I think that's uh, where, yeah, Peterson's misery, quote yeah. about uh, the absence of your full being leaves a hole that's filled yes. by terrible things. I think that's aptly put right there. Yeah, I, I agree very much. Um, but anyway, so, so there, is, there is this uncomfortable relationship between magical culture and sacrifice. There always seems to be uh, mm-hmm. some relationship to it. And, you know, just recently I saw the most horrible thing. I can't get it out of my mind. I joined one of these Jungian groups. And there's somebody with a very dark understanding 
he was exposing me to a number of images and like and one of them was uh um in uh, in iceland uh magicians or wizards uh, would actually give after their death they would allow someone to hollow out their skin and use their skin as as pants <laughs> what yes oh that that sounds like a joke but that sounds like a joke incredulous but the, the image is one of these pants and actually it was considered an honor and and it, do this you know willingly or whatever i don't know the whole thing oh. that's some, hey that's eddie some wizard pants yeah make, make me a promise make some pants out of me <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i don't understand people worrying about their what happens to their body after they're dead they're not gonna be around yeah like, no but i think it's but at the same time life, i still yeah. i would be the person to say hey make sure i'm buried in this spot it's over identification with the self i think yeah yeah there's something to that but wizard pants it is man you got it. Well, heck yeah. Someone bury me with a tree. So I, I have a recommendation to the group. And it's actually a, a wild recommendation because uh, there was one book I read that I felt was the best primer for your mind to start uh, thinking about uh, the way the, na the nature of the world might have to be to include some of this phenomena. And so one of the ways that sounds incredibly it. compelling already. Yeah, yeah right. Good, so, good preframe. Yeah. So uh, obviously, the first thing you'd think of, you go like, and, and so after I had some of my experiences, I went, well, how would I learn about this? Like, I want to know what other people. I can't be the only person. Was my first thought. So I thought there must be a whole history of of people experiencing this and and trying to make sense of it, um, and so. Then I became interested in, in psi phenomena, right? Mm -hmm. What have people seen that, uh, that kind of defy their understanding of the laws of nature? Like, have other people seen or experienced uh, this kind of thing? So it happens to be a guy, an author, who has this very particular obsession, right? And he, and he happens to know a good deal about the phenomena already. So this isn't just an ordinary guy. This is a guy who knows enough about the phenomena to know a little bit about what to look for. And, and it has a good instinct for uh, digging up evidence. So he just digs up as much evidence as he can. And he presents it to you in this thick book, right? Um, some of them at first you go, mm, I don't know, I don't know about that. But it, what he does is he presents the evidence and then he, go, and he just talks to you. Like he presents the evidence and he says, well, how do you rationalize this? Like that happened, that, how could that have happened? Uh, you know, none of this makes any, any sense in the way we understand the world. What kind of a world could we be living in where this makes sense? So then you, you read through these and as I was reading, uh, uh, through this book, actually, I had this like tremendous experience, and I always remember that uh, this book sort of primed me for it. And the other, the other uh, thing I remember that primed me for it was John. I don't know if you know John Lilly. Anybody know John Lilly? Uh, the name is ringing a bell, but I forget. So he, he was uh, one of these first early psychedelic uh, scientists. Oh. And he worked with the... dolphins. Okay. And like uh, one of the interesting connections is uh, uh, Lebowski, that, that Lebowski. The big yeah. One. 
I love uh, that movie. Uh, that what's that guy's name? Uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Well, I, I think because his younger brother uh, was part of this dolphin show, uh, John Lilly uh, was was his one of his mentors, and he talks about that sometimes, a little bit here and there. Hmm. Uh, I briefly met the guy, but he's the uh, guy who who uh, wrote a book that they made into a movie, and it was called Altered States. Okay. Anybody, anybody seen the movie? I don't think I've seen it, but I've heard of it. Okay, well, so in this movie, this is where we get to improbable realities. Like, so this guy is going to, I'm going to describe an evidentiary stream. Like, you'll, you'll have to, you'll be forced into, uh, could this really have happened? Or is this fantasy, right? Or is so this are you are you asking us to suspend our disbelief for the moment? For the mo well, uh, not so much to suspend your disbelief. It's question and don't compulsively uh, jump to conclusions. I would say is what I would say. I think that's what it means. Yeah, <laughs> is that what it means? <laughs> okay. Yeah, Both actually, it covered. probably does mean that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what is, so what happens is he goes to Mexico and he does this mushroom brew. And he has this ridiculous experience. He doesn't know what to make of it. And um, um, he wants to study it because he thought the experience, something about the experience didn't make sense. And it basically is synchronicity thing. Uh, he had this experience around time um, that didn't quite make sense. And he, he wanted to study it. And I think at that point, he thought it was purely subjective, right? Subjective phenomena. Mm -hmm. as, as a, the drug was changing his subjective experience of the world, uh, which, which is a fairly a fair assumption to make, and all of us would make it. And he's a scientist, so uh, he takes all of it quite seriously, and he just regards this as phenomena that's very fascinating because it seemed like it was more than that to him. So he decides to ramp up the... Doesn't game. adjust. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he decides to ramp up the game and put himself in a tank, uh, one of those sensory deprivation tanks. Okay. And do the mushrooms. Nice. Okay. And that sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he already knows that people in sensory deprivation tanks, just because they, the the, the theory goes. So, yeah, the lack of you know lack of sensory stimu stimulation. Sensory input. Yeah. 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 Uh, mm -hmm. Actually, brings on a hallucinogenic state. So he mm -hmm. thought, ah, why not double, <laughs> double the hallucinatory impact? I don't know. What I would, that honestly, I would love to uh, float and take uh, psychedelic. Like, there's, a, there's a YouTube channel that did that, and he documented it. Uh, Psych Substances, if you ever oh, watch it. A lot of people have done it. but Here, Yeah, I'll uh, find the video real quick while you're... Yeah, throw it in the chat, man. I, I find going into these... Someone gave me a, a coupon, and I should have just used it. But even going to this place, and it seemed like... So cold and alienating. It didn't seem like the kind of uh, place that I wanted to have any kind of any experience in. So I never actually <laughs> even used it. Uh, so, it, yeah, that's the whole thing is getting the setting all right. And then yeah, I setting, didn't setting. feel like the setting was right. Um, but, but he does this. And this is what he claims happens. This is, the, this is the weird part. What he claims happens is he goes to this earlier state of being 
And um, one of his claims is that it, it's as though you can't be fully human unless you regress to an earlier hominid state. That's the first claim. And I, I'll, just all this is, you have to regard it as, to some degree as science fiction. And what makes all of this worse is John <laughs> Lilly did, did a little too much ketamine later in his life, and he sort of uh. lost it a bit. So he, he was... He was there for a certain part of the period, but then he just did too much drugs and, and then he wasn't all quite there. And then uh, that justifies for people, again, the compulsive need to disqualify his experiences. Totally. Right? So what happens is he, is he goes to this earlier state, right? And then he comes out of the tank and all this electromagnetic interference happens. And he looks at his body and he is actually, he's not human anymore. He's, his body has taken another form. So hmm. somehow all this subjective experience has become an objective reality, right? To how, how in crazy terms is of that? Report? I mean, as in that way for sure. And then well, uh, the scientist who sees it, right? This is the cool thing about the movie. The, my favorite line in the movie is a scientist was, he, he didn't trust doing this sort of work alone. Uh, obviously, there's tons yeah. of risk involved. So there had to be, especially in a tank. Uh, and he had the, uh, he was in a vertical tank, not those ones where you're like horizontal. He did the vertical thing, which you meant, you know, your head, only your, your head was above the water or your head was in a, uh, a helmet that uh, was in the water. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, I think those are a, li a little <laughs> more challenging. That's a bit more intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, he claims a physical event happened that he transformed physically. And now, here's the thing I would say. I would say, if it's true, like if this could be true, that would mean that the algorithm of the universe can spontaneously manifest a whole different organization of structure uh, within, you know, a second, which would mean that if it's true, it would mean that the universe, that the universe collapses at some micro frame beyond our comprehension into reality. And it's actually more like an equation collapsing than it is like uh, a material thing. So let me see if I get the story correct. Is it a scientist observing another guy that, and they're having the same report of this kind of objective? Oh, yes. So the line that I love, which I can't remember, it's when he goes, you expect me, like the, uh, the guy who's going through the experience goes, you can see this is happening. You can see it happen. And then he goes, and the other guy goes, you expect me to stake my reputation on the fact that you just had a physical uh, uh, transformation. Uh, transformation and that this is legitimate, this is real, and you expect me to tell other scientists that this <laughs> actually happened, you know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to even accept it happened. <laughs> that was uh -huh. the other scientist's position on it. He compulsively had to reduce it. Knowing, okay. knowing he was reducing it and knowing that there was no way he was going to the way that it happened. So the, almost the, the framework of his cultural lens of interpretation immediately kind of put up a firewall. That's right. And 
disallowed him from even looking coherently at the phenomenon that was being described by the other guy. Yes. And what it means is, is that there's something survival nature, which is not completely conscious in us. And it will uh, project closure on a matter if we think this will mean we can't adapt to reality. Hmm. If it like pokes at survival in some way. That's right. And huh. so that's, that's what didn't happen for you, I would say, which is, which is why you got into trouble. But most people, it huh. impulsively yeah. kicks in and, and it says, you cannot take one step further because you, are, in one way or another, are not prepared for the complexity of this new paradigm. Yeah, that's like Hunter S. Thompson's quote about the edge. The only ones who know where it is are the ones that have stepped over. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's interesting and to bring up. The only way to deal with, with synchronicity is to know you're going to step over and you know there's going to be some backlash and you know there's going to be some chaos. Mm. And you sort of have to accept that that's part of it. But once you do, the chaos is lessened to a, a great degree. Yeah, do, let me ask, do you think... Panicking. You know, do you uh, think- yeah. Well, do you think chaos is like a subjective feature of like phenomenology or something that is actually manifest in the universe? Well, like as a, a law, perhaps. Here's the I regard uh, um, psychedelics as producers of chaos. Okay. Okay. And here's how they do it what they do is everybody is in sync in a pattern of relation in time. We're all in sync with each other in a pattern of relation in time. When one of us does a psychedelic, we change our relationship to that pattern in time. And now we're at a different pattern in time in relation to the uh, uh, other members of our group. And now we're out of sync. We've just created chaos in relation to the group. And mm. th- there is a possibility that the chaos will result in, in the group uh, raising to another uh, threshold but mm-hmm. it can also happen that it'll be divisive and often is. It's like so, a caterpillar to a butterfly kind of thing. Yeah, so there, there, there is chaos. And uh, one of the, I, I, you know, there are, there, there are uh, one of the disturbing things that I used to do. I, I did a lot of reading and I would always get this one message is that all this work you do, when you actually come to it, you'll find that you may find so there are cynical people, and they'll say, you will find that it wasn't really worth the amount you sacrificed to get there. Mm. It will seem like, well, this is just, you did all this just to arrive at the world, and so what? Yeah, no, I hate that. I, I get that almost. I, um, I, I, I yeah, it's a very, <laughs> I hate hearing it, to be honest. I've heard it for myself as well. I always... <laughs> Man, my favorite one is like, I'll like explain um, my understanding of metaphysics and they'll say something like, um, but isn't that what everybody already thinks? And yeah. it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> not precisely, but yeah, yeah, like, no, not exactly. Definitely to a degree, but they don't know that they're thinking it. And that's the point. Mm-hmm. That is the point. And so one of the features of the synchronistic so uh, we were talking about heuristics, and I'm, I obviously, to some degree, I'm not organized, which obviously is a little odd to some degree, but I have written about it, and one of them is what seems to change the quality around one 
is the awareness, the articulate awareness of what's happening. So the, the yeah. awareness of what's happening, articul articulate awareness of what's happening creates this re recursive sort of resonance where things uh, seem to change. Oh, and just gave me chills, dude. Yeah, and it's less uh, destabilizing if you have that articulate presence with you. I think many people have tried to call that, that the logos. Mm -hmm. That's right. There's, there's resonance with the logos. And others still have called it um, Tao. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to really like the the logos notion, especially since it seems to be one that was better understood in 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 Greek in Greek culture, and we've sort of lost what it meant. Yeah. And um, so it's a symbol so of this loss. Though, is how how ology is derived from it, and it's literally every study of any logical that is, application. That is funny. <laughs> It's that so ubiquitous, though. The thing is, you said the wrong word. It's not logos, it's data logos. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> what was that movie called, might I ask? Which one? The one you were... Uh... Altered, oh, Altered States. States. Yeah. I couldn't find the video of the guy in the deprivation tank. I think they took it down. Damn. What? Is it YouTube like a 70s on. movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I've been meaning... It's on my watch list. I just haven't gotten around to it. Oh, uh, no, you know what happened to me is it came out at the theaters. That dates me uh, terribly. I, know. <laughs> uh, I think it came out in the 80s. Uh, 80s, okay. And so what happened was, and at that time, I was a very rational guy. Like, you know, it, it, like just rational. At that uh, time? At that, that, that time. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm not now, but I, I had a much narrower... Uh, Let's say hyper-rational. Yeah, that, that works. Well, it was a rationality that didn't include synchronicity. Uh, I'll put it that way. It was a, it was every mm. and you, you know like the term hyper-rational. Hyper-rational. So we can no, talk. I do, but I, I I wonder if anyone would understand it just through the term. So I think filling fair enough. it out. Yeah, fair enough. Flushing it out is better, and it like. Uh, I remember the first time someone talked about meaningful coincidence. I actually had a, a, an extremely annoyed reaction with this guy, right? <laughs> like an oddly extreme. Like I went, why do I need to be extremely annoyed by this guy saying that coincidences are meaningful? So that was mm. the first clue. I went, like, that's odd. Yeah. Well, I mean, by definition, by definition, you would suppose that they're not, right? Yeah, by definition, I, yeah. I supposed that they were not. And so I thought when the guy was saying it, that he was just being a bit of a trickster. He didn't really mean it, you know, uh, mm. but it annoyed me in this odd way, like, uh, like, it, like it was threatening. So... Huh. Um, I noted that, and I, at that point, I had come. Uh, at that point, I was a Freudian uh, to some degree, and I believe that every that the way to understand the world is to stop thinking about large philosophical ideas and to start noticing details of events and notice every little thing. Just be a detective and follow yourself around, 
and look for anomalies. Look for odd things that happen that don't make sense, that just seem odd, and focus on those odd little things. So that was my uh, practice. So this was one of those odd things. And over time, this thing around coincidences, I realized uh, was, was meaningful to me. Hmm. So I, you know, I, my attitude, instead of being threatened by it, I became fascinated by it. And, so, and, and, and partly, perhaps, perhaps then meaningful beyond you. Yeah. It but sounds like you like, had a keenly developed intuition at an earlier age than most men. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, I would agree with that. To tell you the truth, my first experience of the odd nature of the world was when I was like four and a half. And I was walking. Uh, I, was, I was actually in Israel. Uh, that's where I was born. I was walking down the dirt path. And as I was walking down the path, I felt uh, something nudge my mind. And I mm. thought, that's an odd experience because I never felt something nudging my mind. And then I looked in the direction, I don't know why, I looked in a particular direction, and there I saw a chameleon, and, uh, and oh. it was like he suddenly appeared. And, I th and I'm just a kid, I'm going, I think that and chameleon nudged my mind somehow. That's so symbolic. <laughs> That's yeah. Cool. And, uh, and, and then he disappeared, right? And, and then not <laughs> long after, so then I thought, uh, my, at the time, and I was already an epistemologist then, strangely enough. I don't know how to wow. explain it. Uh, so I, I was thinking, so I live in a world where an animal can make contact with my mind. That's fucked up. That's unbelievable. <laughs> but I thought, I didn't tell anybody because I thought no one's going to believe me. So I, I just better keep my mouth shut up about this. Then um, not long afterwards, I came across uh, one of these glass tail lizards, right? And uh, I didn't know it was a gla glass tail lizard. So I grabbed it by the tail and the tail broke off and, and wiggled. And uh, yeah. I had a fucking uh, mind blowing experience off of that. It, was, it seemed like the life force of the tail that I had broken had uh, gone through my body this very guttural manner and actually woke me up for a second. And it was like a synchronistic experience. So wow. The first ones I I'd ever had. And I went, what the fuck was that? And it was like a, like the first experience of anything like an orgasm I'd ever experienced. That's <laughs> how, also how strange it was. Like it was that vibratory guttural thing. Yeah. And, and I think it's, this is partly why uh, there's this history of blood around sacrifice and around raising this state of being through some sort of violence. I mean, I've been studying mm. the sacrifice archetype for a long time because I wanted to make sense of it. It's one of the things that I always found truly explicable, especially after having done the study of magic and going, what, what, what? They're all thinking a lot of very strange uh, things around uh, these magical acts and experiences and uh the book i was recommending to you is called mysteries by Co a guy named colin wilson okay and one of the things he talks about all the odd things that certain people do so like and and, w and one of them has to do since i was very interested my 
curiosity. I don't know how why I developed this intense curiosity, but I just decided I wanted to know what the relationship between matter and mind was. Mm. I had this sneaking suspicion that there was more to it. Now, I'm, probably it came to me because I kept reading all this alchemy, um, you know, that Jung had sort of pointed to. And mm -hmm. all these people seem to be suggesting that there was a relationship between mind and matter that was not what I thought it was, like a different idea around mind and matter. Mm -hmm. And so, like, uh, one of the things you start to learn in, in, in alchemy is that the time of day is important. Like, how could that be? You could ask yourself, what are these people thinking about? Like, why is the time of day? Why is the time of year? So then there's all these this idea that at certain points in certain cycles certain things can happen that can't happen at other points in the cycle and that seems like a reasonable claim to me mm -hmm. there's nothing outrageous about that we don't know what cycles mean and it's obvious to me that the seasons are very different and when i was again uh let's say i'll use the word more hyper rational i didn't think that choices i made uh plans i made had and seasons like the time and over o over time i realized that they actually did have to do seasons and uh enterprises you start at certain times do better than other times uh right for psychological and emotional reasons that you don't quite comprehend when you're rationally thinking about it uh but when you start including the full complexity you realize yeah there are windows factors, that are better yeah. than other windows mm -hmm. so uh but but that has to do with this like yearly cycle and that to some degree i started realizing we just have to accept that there is an orbital a fractal orbital nature to the universe and that it does have something to do with resonance and vibration and that it does the thing i had the other uh, important thing i'd noticed is not only was it about being articulately aware of what was going on? It was also my attitude in relation to it. Yeah. And so it had to be a really flexible attitude. And it had to be an attitude that was willing to dynamically change its opinion on a moment's notice if the facts showed something else. Yet not succumb to full self-sacrifice so as to have no presence exactly yeah 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 so i would say what it sounds like what you're saying is that you had to um maintain a rigid epistemology while allowing the phenomenal phenomenology to be dynamic yeah, yeah. that's right that's, that's very cool. that's very true yeah, and i think that is yeah it is a great way to put it that that would be that's the form of the alchemical secret is how do you develop that state of mind well, dude, Joshua, real quick, one of the things that you said earlier on that really, really resonated with me was how all of the synchronistic kind of um, phenomenology and realization and awareness, like the awakening that it kind of has been, uh, as it's been occurring to you your whole life, it sounds. The thing yeah, that it prompted to you is that it, it made you almost come more into physics, more embodied, and rather than more... Uh, like ethereal or like just no, you, in the clouds with with your ideas. You in grade six, I, I became dissociated by from my phenomenal experience and became purely rational. Uh, uh, 
my teacher had pulled me by the back of my scruff of my neck suddenly. Uh, and he had a bit of a sadistic relationship to me and wanted to get me into the real world. He noticed that I was walking in a bit of a dream world and it irritated him. Huh. Uh, and he managed to shake me out of it. So what ended up happening was I had a period in my teens where I was sort of purely rational, like mathematical and logical, and, and that was fine. And I, I was getting interested in writing, but mm. I, had no, I had lost the experience of the phenomena that I had to work for that to get that back. Uh, yeah, and then, and only then, you, did, yeah. Like, uh, how long did that last? That like shake, that grounding shake. Well, it happened when I was twelve, and it lasted till I was uh, in my twenties, uh, and and actually probably the. Uh, Part of the fact of the matter probably is that the uh, some of the psychedelic work undid some of the harm. Oh, wow. During yeah. that time? Yeah, yeah. That, so there was a point where I started doing some of that, and, and it undid, it, it released the phenomenological experience back into my life. Okay. Because I had, yeah. very rigid, I had a very rigid control of it to some degree. And I was only as, and I didn't want to give it up because I actually, I insisted on a conscious experience. So I didn't want to jump into any intuitive reality, which reminds me, Eddie, that's what I, 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 start, I have started to suspect you've done is that rather than go step by step towards the real mm -hmm. through an epistemological framework, at some point you decided to jump ship of that process and intuitively believe, mm -hmm. and then you had to qu uh, qualify it as imagination, mm -hmm. and all of that cheated you of the real world movement. Because yep. there is a way to get to be to for it not just to be an imagination. For, so like my conclusions are f forced upon me through a process of Occam's razor. Mm -hmm. and I, I think me also. Yeah, and so there's. Yeah. And I, I like that because I know, I'm quite confident that I don't really have a much of another choice. And in and, and the cases where I'm guessing, I'm guessing where the probability of the evidence weighs in. And often the probability of the evidence is quite significant for what's yeah. really going on over any other fantasy about what's going on. Well, sometimes it speaks for itself too, the information. Well, like I was telling you guys, I, I had made the decision that there was no such thing as telepathy, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and I really feel that was the right thing to do, is to make the decision that uh, this phenomena didn't exist. It's interesting. Uh, and, uh, and so and that, I took a position, and then somehow I think that brought the next thing in. Now, I may be wrong about that. It could have been... This theme was was coming in, and it really didn't matter that I had come to this decision that was disqualifying it. But what happened was, the wake-up call was, I had a dream one Sunday night on a ski trip with my in-laws that this girl that I, I had met this girl, and for me, like, synchronicity begins with... Uh, in my later life, when I'm when I'm at, in this rational place, 
it only happens when uh, certain women are around me. So this is the first woman that comes around me and all of a sudden this synchronistic phenomena starts kicking in and I go, what the fuck is going on? And mm. I already have, I'm already engaged this other woman. So it's also a very inconvenient phenomena. Like mm. I'm going, what, what, what is going on? Yeah. There's more yeah. meat in my bed than I can handle. Because, uh, like, personally, uh, my experiences with synchronicity, synchronicity are largely focused around my partner. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure what uh, telepathy might be, um, except to attribute it to the relatively broad label of synchronicity. But, like, what I can say is that in my first psychedelic experience, and I've had many, um, I had something happen with a group of my friends. There were four of us, and we were talking about this crazy thing that was happening because obviously none of us had ever taken psychedelics before and right. something happened which was that we started to speak as a as a group that was one thing so i would stop talking because i had an instinct to stop and then one of the other members of the group would pick up my train of thought exactly and then we would take turns saying words where we were saying one sentence coherently without gaps but yes. we weren't like it wasn't one person; it was all of us, and I yes. cannot explain it. Yeah, that's so oh, cool, dude. I, I have a story like this too because I have a friend. I I started realizing that uh, if this does exist, if there's a plane of being, uh, which you can make contact with where this happens, this may actually have something to do with uh, the experience when you're dead, and so hmm. it does. There, there, there. To me, there did seem to be make some sense to start to learn, to navigate in this territory because uh, it's it's connected to sleep, it's connected to dreams, and it may be connected to even what happens to you after you die. So you don't know. Right. Um, and and I always like to prepare for any possible contingency. And one of them is look, understand it because yeah, this stuff happens. So uh, part of understanding it is developing language and developing sensual awareness for the changes in the vibe in the room or in your body like getting sensory getting getting good sensory connection to what's actually going on around you and what's How actually to read going the on room. in your body yeah and yeah. so and so uh, one of my friends was going what is the point of all this what is the point of learning language what is the point uh, that was one of her uh, arguments with me, and um, uh, like it was a it was a bit of a constant argument. Uh, she, we don't have it anymore. She she has seen the benefits of developing these skills in the real world. So regardless of whether uh, there's this other world, you could develop them, and she actually sees the value of it. The real world and um, like developing language skills, articulate language skills, they're useful in lots of different contexts, but. So what pretty happens much every is, context. Yeah, yeah, pretty much every context. So I visit her and I'm sleeping in the next room and we're having this argument in the dream. And while we're having the dream, I realize, you know, fuck, we're in the dream. And I know she's I like, I don't know how one knows these things, but when I do know I'm generally right. I knew she was in the dream with me and that we're having the same dream. And we're having the argument in the dream. So I go to her. So she goes, what is the point? So it's really ironic. She's going, what is the point of doing this? And it occurs to me, you know what? What I can do is 
I can tell her what the point of doing this is. And then I'm going to wake up and yell as loud as I can. So in the dream, I told her, this is the point of doing this. So you can know what's happening even when you're in this unconscious state. And she yeah. goes, what are you talking about? And then I shouted as loud as I could. I woke her up and she, she woke up out of it and she went, fuck, I can't believe what you just did. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, chills again. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've I've used a lot of that feeling, the chills feeling, to yeah. map this kind of. That thing. is a guide. That's yeah. a guide. It is a guide. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling of meaning. Yeah. I think so. Oh yeah. wait, you were arguing with your girlfriend in your dream, and you were actually arguing in real life. That's right. Not quite. The proposition was that um, both of them in real life were arguing in the dream that each of them was having individually, but somehow it was a shared experience. Yeah. yeah, and she didn't know. Well, she didn't even know she was dreaming in the dream, which often happens. And it only for one reason or another, I have developed a capacity to wake up out of it. Like I've I've done exercises to be to lucid dream. Yeah, um, I don't I don't get to do it these days anymore. I've been like uh, locked out for one reason or another. It's kind of annoying, huh. but uh, I can't that'll seem a, to get them to happen. Dude, that'll be a good topic for another another yeah. chat. Yeah, it would be. This is all fascinating stuff, though. What do you mean? What do you mean, will be? Will be. Yes, that's that is what I mean. <laughs> so we actually managed to cover quite a bit of territory, right? The synchronicity thing. This is. Um, I've I mean, never experienced synchronicity. I don't think. Um. At yeah, least some that I can identify. So, like, here's the thing, and it sounds like faith, but the faith you have to have is you just have to be aware, truthfully, okay. wh- with what is going on in the world around you, and then it will happen. I can give you an example of my own, um, one of my own examples of synchronicity, um, since you've not had any yourself. Um, <clears throat> so, basically, um, uh, my favorite song is called Savior, right? And that's been my favorite song for like the entire time I have listened to music, basically. Not quite, but you know, pretty, like we're talking like eight plus years at least. Um, And so I have this thing, um, this philosophical idea, which is that um, if you get to know someone really, really well, you can name them properly. And what that constitutes is it constitutes giving them two words that, uh, describe everything about them by capturing properly the basis for their personality, right? And um, my partner, um, when I met her, I like tried to figure out her name and completely disconnected from, you know, <laughs> everything else, the song thing. Her name, from what I can tell, is Wild Savior. And the idea that my favorite song for my whole life was Savior, and then this girl came along who, uh, like, it's not a product of my uh, evaluation that she has the traits that she does that correspond to the name that I give her, right? That's who she is. Right, right. Yeah. Um, the idea that, that that coincidence could happen, right, that my favorite song could be about, and so, like, more than that, um, like, since then, I, had, I was like listening to it and I just sort of like, it was almost as if I heard it uh, for the first time again. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I realized that the song was about her. 
right? And what we're talking about there is we're talking like several levels of coincidence. Uh, one of like uh, or any of them alone would just be a coincidence, but together they are unbelievable. It, mm. it is it's ridiculous the idea that that could happen. Yeah, that's what I love about it. It's uh, the word that I've had to uh, accompany with my notions of synchronicity is uh, pronoia to contrast it with paranoia. So mm -hmm. like my mind will complexify due to creative impulses uh, up into like maybe 10, 15, 20 different connections just immediately apprehended about a given moment in uh, like present experience. But what I have to do, especially if I'm in a heightened sense of awareness is that that amplifies incredibly. So I have to turn down the volume so that I'm not at that, like what we could do the opposite of hyper rational, but like hyper imaginative would be one way. Yeah. To hyper -imaginative. yeah. yeah. Oh. And so yeah, what that... I, what I have to do is like turn it down a notch to where I don't turn in, turn it into everything's connected and conspiring against me or like the, all the eyes are on me. Like there's a weird, like almost narcissistic, um, but something quality, quality, yeah, to me when I get in my states of synchronicity, just because I think of my own subjective architecture. Like, is it because um, you're trying to figure out what all is connected? Yep, you're observing things. What all is connected? Well, what, what to is some it, degree, I, because he's predisposed to schizophrenia. Exactly, <laughs> um, and that's like one of the main contenders that I've had to. Uh, I, I guess what what would the term be? Uh, just account for. And in, in doing so, like what would I end up being able to extract from even just a sober moment of present experience is synchronicities could be there for me, but I have to like ignore them. And I because could, you can't tell which ones are what, right? Exactly. Like I could sit there and talk about how the insect flying in front of me is using cursive to send me an actual message from, you know, some angelic source, if I wanted to put it in those terms, or it could be a demonic source, if I was putting it in shadow terms. And I mm -hmm. created like this vast kind of hierarchy of narratives for each level of analysis in order to kind yeah. of work through the scaffolding of it all. But the reason why I've had to like discount so much of it is because if I took that and then let's say codified it in a way that was shareable, it to me would be the wrong thing to do with an experience and expression such as that. Like it, it should be artistic at the most. Otherwise it turns somewhat dogmatic and or religious when it doesn't need to be, because I think everyone has their own way of instrumentally according themselves with reality. Like there's an orchestra going on the instrument that you are, if you can kind of actualize it fully will be the thing that allows you to, gain what the word that I think most gets to the heart of it is the uh, ikigai in Japanese. It's like mm -hmm. a, a four quadrant way of looking at your purpose yeah. where you can essentially like the world needs it at the moment that you can do it. You're skilled at it. You can make money at it. And most importantly, you derive purpose from it. Well, you know what I would say, I would say to Eddie, Eddie, because I experienced the thing I, we didn't get into, uh, the earlier parts of this 
kind of like social conundrum with what do you call him? The, DPC? Uh, the integral guy. Yeah. <laughs> but what it began with for me was when you created the DPC thing, and I don't know why this happens to me. Um, <laughs> what happened was first, I wrote the first article, and my first experience was a trauma around Brendan and what he was up to. Mm -hmm. like, it was a bit of a shock for me. You know? It was a bit of adjustment. Okay, okay, I got this new thing to deal with. Yeah. And actually, I was sort of fascinated by it, uh, partly because I see, I see him as an archetype that sort of some of his ideas sort of like... Uh, they're familiar to me, so it's something yeah. I'm familiar with. So something I do want to address, um, but I, I don't know if I'm very good at it, to tell you the truth. And I'm not sure we were very good with it tonight. And I didn't. There was something odd was going on there. But anyway, I mean, that, so that was the first one, and that was that he jumped on me. Uh, I, I was a bit of an intense little piece, and it was a piece <laughs> on. Um, comedy not being allowed and this political correctness mm -hmm. uh theme which he, he was Garbage. very split about because right. on the one line on the one hand he he uh, appreciates peterson's uh ability to describe jungian concepts and mm -hmm. um and that he has some degree of understanding of the, the logic of uh, psychological process um but he doesn't like his political. He hates. He hates him what? for his political. That's political crazy sense. to me. Yeah, I know. So like that was what su was surprising, and I I think this is, <coughs> I've discovered there's a sort of complicated relationship there. And actually, when we discussed it in private, he sort of uh, dropped it to some degree and and realized that it's a little more complicated than he thought. He actually is really good at adapting. Like one of the things I've noticed in him is he's. He is in constant like adaption mode, and yeah. Peterson. Uh, you mean adaptation? No, no. no. Uh, our, our buddy that left us earlier, uh, Brendan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Peterson. Um, I I, pre I appreciate what he says. But there's there is a way in which that it, there's you know that when someone's singing off key, there's some there's a quality Dude. of being a little off key. I was and, and totally going to use that analogy, like wait, the, the tone deaf analogy. Synchronicity, that, you guys. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting, man. Because <laughs> some people don't know that they're kind of tone deaf, and they'll sing and not know that they're yeah. off key. But it takes an outside ear to kind of gently suggest that that might be something to look into. Yeah, and it's it's a <laughs> complex phenomenon. And again, what I say yeah. is, I think it's partly that compulsion around synchronicity. So it may seem like I'm amplifying this idea more than is necessary, but I think. What you find is that the, 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 the problem synchronicity produces is you've got to sort of face yourself and what you're doing vibrationally and why you're doing it. So when an idea is presented, are you defending yourself against it? If that's your first compulsion. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I, I do. So I, I was, is, right? what's that? I said, and it often is, right? And often is. Mm. Often is, and especially when you get to territory that's more difficult, it often is. And then how do you deal with it? And then you do need to somehow address it. Uh, yeah. So it becomes tricky. But what was I? What was I? I was well, you were... Apologies. 
Yeah, sorry, I kind of... What was I? I was about to describe something. Well, it was a bit about, like, the uh, kind of historical context of your experience with Oh, BBC. yeah, so the first trauma was Brendan with that nonsense. And I was, I, I thought it would be entertaining because actually he's a lot more conservative when I hear his voice than I thought he was from the writing voice. The writing right? voice is a little wilder than, <laughs> than the voice I'm hearing. Uh, yeah. when, I, when I listen to him, I go, oh, this is a guy who's learned to really tamp it all down. Yeah. And so it's, that's partly what you're going to be dealing with in the, in the philosophy. There, because, and so this is what I was getting at. The subjective... Uh, it, this, the the nature of the subjective projection describes the nature of the subjective projector, and then that establishes a relationship between that individual, real, and that individual, and, and other people. And you can't actually deal with this stuff without talking about that. So I couldn't it agree becomes, more. It becomes personal and philosophical at the same time, and that's a very tricky territory. Um, and I, I suppose to some degree, you know, because David couldn't hear my tones of voice, mm -hmm. he couldn't trust what I was saying or doing, and that's part of it, like emotionally. I think that's part of it, but it's also, I think, the beginning contours of the problem space that you keep referring to. Yeah, like yeah, that's, exactly. That's how you broach that boundary. Well, yeah. To some degree, he's repulsed by the proposition that he doesn't have it figured out, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And that, then, but, it, but when I... Well, you can't really be scary me, to figure out that you don't have it figured out. <laughs> what scares Fair me enough. is that this would be a, like a big trauma to him. Like it's not, it doesn't feel casual. It feels like this, this is traumatic. Like, it, Well, you know we're I mean? taking away like a couple of years of his life in terms of the work he's done. Well, one of my hope is that it's just a concern for his business and it's not actually a psychological fear. What I mean by that mm. is that... I mean, it looks psychological to me. Yeah, yeah. it does to me too. It does to me too. That's that, and that is why it's the problem space as far as I can tell. Yeah. Because it's just, it's not going to be easy to articulate in at least written form because I tried... Oh quite carefully to articulate this in written form and it, no, it, it just he couldn't see any of the value that was he deals with it with a fiery a fiery dismissal uh, defensiveness <laughs> no, it's a, yeah. i think he's protecting something that he's afraid is not well built and um and i'm, yeah. I'm starting to see the outlines of it and i think it's really interesting as a like like some of it as phenomenology, which is the idea of uh, someone presents you with a set of maps, a, a way of cataloging the world mm -hmm. that to some degree puts you intuitively at ease. Yeah. But, but I felt it somehow, like at first, so this was the second trauma. This is, I, I saw his map, so I thought, oh, this guy knows all this territory. So therefore, I'm going to be talking to somebody who knows this whole territory. Dude, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a valid right? assumption. And mm -hmm. so, so, and then I, I started talking about parts of the territory and I realized, <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> like somehow it's part of his model, but it's not part of his experience. And, yeah. Book smart, and, but not street smart. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that doesn't mean like, I, I know that what he does know, he does know, and that's great. Yeah. There's certain places where 
he makes things meet that haven't met and he doesn't know that he's just forcing uh and he hasn't he's somehow dissociated from his experience mm-hmm. and that's that's a terrible shock for people and it would be a terrible shock a- for him He's a king without a court jester, and when the jester in you plays the part, mm. he doesn't mm-hmm. know how to react. No, he, he throws doesn't. you in jail, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the idea. That's Just throw really him in jail. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the role of the jester. The king, straight to fucking jail. <laughs> no, like I didn't know how bad it was when I got into it. So, like, I, yeah. I didn't. You know, I, right. I, I didn't know. Oh, was this a guy you were debating earlier or something? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, dude. We didn't um, contextualize this. Yeah, no, not not yeah. that we were debating earlier. Um, I this guess is a guy I was... that we interact oh. with on a Facebook page that we uh, operate. Yeah, uh, nameless yeah. debates as a Facebook. No, this no, is um, not, um, yeah, it's a different Facebook page. It's a different one. It's called Dope Philosophy Crew, and yeah, and Here, it gets I'll a little. You guys yeah, will know it. my real name, but yeah. there we go, man. Dope yeah. Philosophy Crew, yeah. And there's a thread in there that all of this kind of is written in. And I mean, it, it'd be interesting to get anyone else's outside perspective on it too, especially just coming into it blind, so to speak. You should um, share the thread on the page again. Yeah, I'll post. Actually, yeah, I can do that right now. I always forget that I can do that there shit. Uh, there, I'm following. Uh, nice. Yeah, actually, I I think it's getting oh, to be more go. and more interesting, and it's going to get more and Join. more interesting. What if the imagination never existed? Oh God! Can <laughs> <laughs> I ask philosophical questions here? No, you don't have to, man. But yeah, it's fine if you want to. You can, yeah, of course. You can just follow the uh, the interactions as well, and yeah, I, I find that always just as interesting when what it if is the interesting. Imagination never existed. What does it mean by that? Like. The human imagination, or just imagination in general. In general, hard to say. Yeah, but it's it's. Yeah. I take it everything in general first. If need depends, be. if you believe some omnipotent being created the universe and he didn't have an imagination, would then nothing exist? <laughs> you can it's go on that question. thread as long as you want. All but right, if I'm... the universe just exists in a state of cold indifference, then shit. <laughs> You're already spinning some some concepts, man. Where should I post yeah. the link? Matt? Uh just post it in main, dude. Okay. Although what I was actually thinking is you can share it on DPC so that you can share an old post new. No. I uh, I think I, I think when you say when you uh when we post this one, you should post the links for all three of them. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I actually I actually think if people don't hear that first one. They don't get some of the basics down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second one is kind of funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. Because uh, you, you could, uh, Eddie, you, you committed a whole, oh, yeah, there's some really funny shit. Dude, I went uh, through it. I really let <laughs> some of my, uh, my schizophrenia hang out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was also a surprise. So there's Good. a lot of. A lot of surprises to me for me. Yeah, dude, that one time when you said, "Oh, I'm getting so many treats today," you said something about like so many like gifts in one day. It was yeah. I was like, "Yeah, this this is where the real work is." Though it's like when we go off script and can't really contain it with our preconceived maps and frameworks. Exactly, that's, that's where the actual integration hits the 
the rubber meets the road. Which is funny, that's, right? Because the thing right. that I find most objectionable about the integral guy's behavior is that he is insisting that unless you follow his rules, he's just unwilling to have a discourse. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, is I think what he's really saying is, is unless I follow his rules, he's going to fall apart. He's going to have a breakdown. And uh, if that's true, then I don't want to push that that boundary, right? Right. And, well, he, and then he claims that that's is i'm not i'm not sure it isn't the case i mm -hmm. i actually think that he that there's something very fragile about his architecture Look, i don't think um that's what he's saying i think that might be what he's meaning though yeah it's i can see it as an implication at the very least mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't yeah. think he would be self-aware enough to say that to be perfectly honest with you yeah no, yeah he wouldn't say it but yeah. i get the i get the feeling he's afraid it is but i, I don't know but he, I, there's a couple of quotes. Well, he I, must I, be, right? That's where the maps come from. He's afraid mm -hmm. of being lost. And yeah, the, idea exactly. that he is still, the idea that he is still lost would be terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Wow, man. And, and this is the, the, you know, the terrifying aspect of the anima. That I, I just had this conversation with this woman in one of the Jungian groups who claims you know, she doesn't have that terror because she's a woman. Oh. <laughs> oh, goodness. I go, oh yeah really yeah oh uh, don't worry about it then sweetheart yeah. <laughs> i'm sure you're safe yeah. uh, <laughs> so so eddie you said uh truth is almost always guarded by lies at 2841 and then it goes on yeah in a way what's happening is all is being obscured <laughs> all is being obscured uh and and what's being lost is something about some beautiful somethings or other. And yeah. that was your basic grape. That little passage, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, man, it's like I, that's like a weird assumption that I've carried. Uh, I don't know how much truth there is to the idea that truth is guarded by lies. But uh, I've found personally that I'm not willing to reveal my like deep, kind of sentiently apprehended. Um, claims on the transcendent, if you will. No, I'm but, not, uh, let me ground. I'm not you. willing to just like immediately give that to people if I if I haven't like felt that. Probably a good way to think of it is like that synchronistic connection between. Well, you already and have minds. with me. Uh, we we you've been reading these things I've been writing for like a oh, while yeah. now, and you know you know to some degree where I'm going with a lot of these things because and, and right. I'm fairly explicit as, as to the logical way I'm moving through the material and you well, usually those... you can follow your words as like as the map of the territory and yeah. I get your meanings almost exactly. without ambiguity but yeah so you already have you're just betraying what you already know so when you go in a way what's happening is all is being obscured because mm -hmm. these actually lies are the, 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 the fallacy factories that I was uh, uh, projecting, right? Mm -hmm. There was all this fallacy I was projecting around, around uh, Dave's behavior. Mm -hmm. and, and part of it was that I, there, there was a little research I did before that conversation, which makes some of it not completely apparent. And then there was a conversation him and I had before where I, I tried to... Someone else proposed the proposition that um, since your body is an ar artifact of, uh, you know, uh, thousands of years of process, uh -huh. uh, to some degree, you had some access to uh, 
the history of your body. Uh, so mm. there's a way in which through connecting to your body, um, you could connect with your past, right? Mm. Yeah. Which I regard as a fairly reasonable proposition since uh, I've tested it out and it uh, appears also, to be true. What else is genetics? Right. Exactly. Is exactly. genetics that actual lineage in your yeah. blood? <laughs> so his response to me was, was to suggest that I was being childish. And if I only listened to reason, I would realize that this was like false. And like, that's, really? how, it, that's oh, how it that's started. Repulsive. Yeah. Once it started, I go, oh, this is the kind of game we're playing. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. See, and I knew that, like, you were, pl you were playing a game as far as I could tell, right? Well, at first it was, uh, okay, well, we can't do this logically. So let's, like, just start. Have fun. Out. Yeah. And try and have some humor. Yeah. So try to have a little bit of fun. And uh, I, I thought he would, like, laugh with me at a certain point. Like, I don't know. I'm naive or I don't know that is but i really didn't think it was gonna get weird um, <laughs> things got but weird then, but then it got funny because he, yeah uh, he gave me this bugs bunny role which i sort of enjoy playing and then mm. uh he, he's like the selmer fud guy so i went okay um <laughs> uh, so i would i would say something that i like i, I started to guess his like terrain his psychological terrain i, I had a fairly good guess mm-hmm what yeah. was going on so so i i thought okay i'll just say something and then he would his comment back was a way to to project closure on the phenomenology that i was pointing to mm -hmm. so i thought it'd be really funny to uh to open it up again so that he would mm -hmm. have to shut it down again and then i would all he would have to shut it down again and Dude. i thought that would be very funny to continue with that well that's the competition you and i have who could be the bigger kid like I, I have that play with my kids. That wasn't much of a competition. I went like straight hands down the, the first sign of stress. It's um it's a really interesting one to watch, right? Because like you can definitely see um where he's coming from when he's calling you childish, but at the same time his reaction to it is all the more childish. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I try to point that out, but it, you 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 know, in these sort of things it doesn't seem to be that you can bring logic into it once it's gone to that emotional place it just mm. seems that well how will it when it all comes down will it be funny or like i actually thought the destiny of the whole thing was it would be funny and i would be uh we'll laugh about it but uh, i'm not sure well the, the thing that i really want to at least commend and appreciate you on is that and in the end you did ask before you started unpacking it further and yeah. that was literally all that i was asking you to do like offer the caveat before that i can't even i don't even really regard that as a rule it's just like once you notice that it is getting a certain way yeah i mean you you, you responded accordingly in my opinion but uh he well, still I, didn't. I, I don't want to take the risk of causing someone to have a breakdown that was not my i don't think he's gonna have a breakdown man i think he's just he might leave and that's a bummer to me because I think he's he's got a lot of the pieces. He's holding a lot of the right like pieces of the puzzle, if you will. Yeah. But um, I don't but know. You know I, th yeah. I think that his his map cannot be right if he would leave over this. Uh, can I get a link to oh, this? Yeah. Sure. Talking about by the way. Yeah, his map. It's um, if you look up, I'm wondering. 
I'm in. I've, I'm in the Dub Philosophy crew. It should be. Oh shoot! You know, I'll try and find that and post that here too. Actually, sure. no, I think I have it in photos. Yeah, dude, I got it in photos. I'll put that in main. I requested to join the group. You now know. You will know my real name now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And it's a it's a really interesting map, nonetheless. Like a lot of interesting information. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing, Eddie. The the thing he's doing applies to you. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think and, it does actually. And and here's how it applies. He 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 decided to jump ahead of his own process and believe in things that he hadn't the right to occupy. And so now they're just imaginary truths. And what he calls them is different kinds of truths. So when he first said, oh, this is a spiritual truth, this is a different kind of truth, I was thinking, mm -hmm. okay, he's qualifying it intelligently, and, um, and that's fair. But what he really means is that there are these spiritual truths that are nonsense, but people believe them, and that's how it's a different kind of truth. That's a very different kind of truth than at first I, I gave him credit for. So the mm. shock was that he hadn't really integrated the meaning of some aspects of the map. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so they were, they were just intellectual markers. And then me pointing out that that's all they were was very stressful. Mm -hmm. It's not so something they put a lot of work wanted. into it. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, so yeah. The, well, the map sometimes, that I just posted is one that was offered by like pretty much a... a collaborative effort by the integral theory community mm -hmm. and then the one that i just tried to upload is too too big so i might have to do gotta do something to make it smaller uh he updated that map into his own version of it and he's asking yep. the community for like updates to try and like make it more accurate or more improved and i did that like the i went through the process of trying because Matt's theory, uh, DM theory, his and Chris's, um, I thought if we could find a way to agree on that kind of basis, the whole process of what integral theory is aiming at seems to me to be like a valid process to transcend and include any abstract unit of information and some way to try and at least develop a map to intuitively uh, extrude our understandings through if you will but when we offer these kinds of criticisms about the map maker it's as if that shouldn't be spoken about for some reason even though that mm -hmm. like it bears his name like there's a direct correlation i i find at least between the measurements and the measurer and yeah, when of course. people try to divorce that like connection or relationship mm -hmm. i just think they 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 do an improper reduction personally i think he's blind to the degree to which he identifies with his map yeah hmm. yeah yeah and it's kind of interesting because it's like the the map makers it's a map maker archetype it's like uh you know it's that uh, Alex Krasipski thing. The the map is not the territory, right? And and it's all, and again, like this becomes a metaphor. Uh, and to some degree, 
he's playing out a metaphor, like an archetype mm -hmm. of that of that of that phenomena. The more I hear you contextualize your use of the word metaphor, the more I like it. Yeah. <laughs> 